Views expressed on this program are those of the sponsors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the station. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC. Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Indices mentioned are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Asset allocation and diversification strategies cannot assure profit or protect against loss. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Capital Retirement Strategies and Cambridge Investment Research are not affiliated. Episode number 105. We are sitting here at the end of August, and I know we said it in the last episode, but I just can't believe how quickly the summer has gone by. It really flies by. Uh, I I just have no room to complain, basically, (laughs) with my summers. Although they are like, it's really seemingly just June. By the time you get to August 15th, it feels like the summer is ending. Yeah. And to me, it doesn't really start till June 15th. So it's really a two-month summer of real hardcore summer, not worrying about anything else. And then life creeps in after the 15th of August. Wow. I mean, (laughs) does it keep creeping in for you? I mean, your kids are all out of the house (laughs) doing your own thing. I mean, I've got three kids in three different schools, first days of school yesterday, today, tomorrow. It's... You know, nobody's crying for me, but it's, you know, you know how it is. Well, for me, creeping in means I go out of my mode of professional pickleball player and golfer and into (laughs) the real world of of the real world. And it's all its uh, machinations. That would be the difference. You're right, though. I'm not comparing myself to your when I I remember that. I remember those times. Well, I hate the people that. You know, you start to complain about something and then they they've always got it worse than you. Oh, you know, your thing is nothing. My thing is really, you know. Oh, no, you do have it worse than me. (laughs) We've all got our own challenges. Uh, So what we wanted to talk about here today, Dave, you sent a really a fantastic article by the Washington Post columnist Michelle Singletary. You know, a lot of people in the D.C. area, at least, probably familiar with her writing. And I think I might have talked about her writing in the past. And it for me, I'll be very honest, it, it's a little bit geared towards, usually really geared towards things that I find to be a little too simple. And I, I don't want to come off as, you know, some sort of, you know, oh, it's too simple for me. I'm, you know, so high and mighty. But it's, you know, it's a lot of things that I think should be common sense. You know, hey, (laughs) don't carry a big credit card debt and spend more (laughs) money than you have. Uh, But I get it. I understand that a lot of people need that advice. That's that's critical. I mean, we've all seen, you know, how many people have credit card debt, how how stuck they are in that, how it just becomes a spiral there. You can't escape. But that tangent aside, I, this article really, I thought, was phenomenal and really on point for a lot of our clients. And she's talking about herself here. 
She's the title of the article. My husband just retired. I'm scared to death of running out of money. After 30 years in the federal government, now comes the hard part. So she talks about how her husband retired at the end of June. And she, someone who writes about personal finance for a living, has done all of the projections and the analysis to know that they have enough money. She is filled with sleep-deprived nights, worried that they don't have enough money, that they're going to live into their 90s, that there'll be some sort of health issue that'll come up. And I think this is a, a very, I mean, obviously it's a very natural thing because we deal with it all the time. But in particular, she talks about how hard it is to spend money in retirement. You know, we've all had this drilled into us that we need to save money. You're, you're someone who needs to save. You got to avoid those lattes. You got to put money away, save, save, save regularly. And flipping that switch and going to spending money, I, I think that's really hard for a lot of people. Yeah, I, I, and this is the reason I sent it to you. I thought, thought this article is the number one conversation I have with people. Forget about just clients, obviously with clients, but also with just friends and other people I even meet. And yeah. they find out what I do for a living. And the conversation gets often to this. The notion of you're not working anymore and now <laughs> there's no real income coming in besides Social Security or whatever. And, you know, now you're, you've always watched your nest egg grow. It's interesting that this is a problem of people who are, who tend to be good clients and good savers and people who are very, these are not like people who never thought about it. And, oh, all of a sudden I'm retired. These well, are people I mean, who those... watch their nest egg grow, and that means they are good savers, and they see these goals, and now that part's over, and money's not coming in, and there is a fear. And you know what? We don't help that fear too much with our, by we, I mean the financial planning industry, because we talk a lot about what? The 4% rule, or what we call it the 3.5% rule. Yeah. For every million dollars, I can take like 35000 off, and it'll last a certain amount of time. It's that kind of talk that leads to people with a million dollars or more, a lot of times more of retirement assets still in a, in a very fearful position. Yeah. And, and I think that's about, been exasperated by the recent inflation. Yeah. I mean, the recent inflation, but you can always pick some sort of, uh, some sort of topic that's going on current events. That's going to make everyone worried and scared because you know, we all know that's how news operates nowadays. Um, you know, you don't get you don't get clicks and views for saying, you know what, just stay the course, everything will be fine. You get clicks and views by inciting anxiety, fear, anger, all of that stuff. You know what though, with my talks with people, and remember I'm older than you, so all the people I talk to are all in this boat. I get a lot of anecdotal, not just clients, everybody right. who I know, you know. Um the difference is a lot of these people understood the notion of my I'm not selling my stocks when they're low because of an, the S&P downgrade or COVID or whatever. But what they never experienced and now they're retiring is this high inflation and not knowing yeah. or things that continue to cost so much. So I've noticed a, a level of, I don't want to say intelligence, but a level of 
you know, real awareness of things that we always talk about. A lot of people have gotten past the ups and downs of the market. They know that they've even built, you know, a moat around, you know, they're not, not all on stocks, many of them, but the inflation thing was a brand new thing. I mean, everybody remembers it. You don't, but from the eighties <laughs> or whatever, but now it's a new thing in retirement. And I find this to be a big fear driver amongst right. my peers. Yeah. I don't, I don't have any data to back it up, but I, I would bet that people have gotten better, not saying everyone's great, but gotten better at dealing with some of the ups and downs of the market. You know, so it's through education and experience, but we don't have experience with high inflation or I, you know, I should say we don't have it when we're close to retirement because you're right. A lot of people tell stories about the 70s and 80s and, and what they dealt with. But it's that's that's really different when you're in retirement and you're you're actually dealing with that. Um, and that makes me think of and I'm going to get this exact quote a little bit wrong, um, but it's one of these famous market quotes where they say, you know, the market will figure out the way to cause the maximum pain to the maximum number of people at any given time. You know, meaning if we all really want something to go up, well, it's not going to go up. It'll actually go down. Um, and if now we've gotten used to market fluctuations kind of as best we can, now introduce inflation and pick your poison as to what the next thing will be. You know, I, I can't sit here and predict it, but that it'll be something else that we're not thinking about right now that will be the next thing to cause pain and anxiety and all of that. You know, the next thing I thought about when I read this article was, <laughs> this is so easy to say since this is what we do, but people really need to find financial advisors that they can trust to put these plans together, obviously you need to put a sophisticated plan together to deal with this fear. Yeah. This is why everybody should at least, I don't know too many advisors like us who don't do the Monte Carlo analysis. They, we do the software work and then that stuff's really important. It should not be poo poo because you could basically see, put all your assets in there, Figure out what your needs are. You'll see how much money you can spend. You'll see how much money you have. You can look at projections and that type of work, um, along with helping you with the right investments and emotional things. It's just how else do you how else does a, an intelligent person who's not in our business deal with this? No, I and I always talk about I think one of the most important things we do is that what if analysis where you know, we come up with some reasonable assumptions for mortality, inflation, rates of return, you know, all these different things, but we got to poke holes in those, you know, okay, I assume inflation at 3%. What if it averages 5% for the next 30 years? You know, what does that look like? Does that blow up your plan or is it okay, but, you know, not quite as good? And, you know, one of the, the things that I saw in this article that I said, yeah, that totally makes sense to me, no no question about that, is there was a survey here, uh, it was done actually by the Federal Reserve, and it looked at retirees who were more likely to say they were doing okay financially in retirement, and 53% if you have no private pension, so you have no sort of pension outside of Social Security, 
And that number jumps all the way up to 78% said they were doing okay if they have a pension. And of course, you know, it jumps even more if you've got interest, dividends, rent, things like that. But to me, that 53%, you're okay, no pension, 78% with a pension. Yeah, that's probably what I would have guessed. You know, something something like that, a 25% increase. And even in this article, they talk about, you know, Michelle Singletary and her husband talk about how they have or will have a couple social security incomes and a pension from the federal government, but not everybody has that. And some financial advisor that she interviewed for the article said, if you don't have a pension, it's worth considering utilizing an annuity to generate that kind of pension income. And this is something that we've said for years. You know, somebody who's got a nice big pension, covers most of their expenses, they're good to go. They don't need any more annuities. Someone who doesn't have any sort of guaranteed income, I think some sort of annuity planning should be part of their portfolio. And unfortunately, I think the financial media, going back to what the financial media does wrong, is they have all these articles talking about the negatives of annuities, of which there are plenty. You know, there are, there are a lot of things that can go wrong when you're buying an annuity. And they don't talk about what we started off talking about, this, this fear factor, this, this idea in your head that, oh my gosh, I've got to start to spend this money and how the annuity can help with that. You know, I, I think that's the thing. If you sit down there with a spreadsheet and you say, well, over the past 30 years, a person in a balanced portfolio would have done 1.2% uh, better in this portfolio than using an annuity. Therefore, they shouldn't utilize it. Well, that totally ignores the stress, the sleepless nights, the feelings of anxiety when they just look at that balanced portfolio and they don't know what the future is. It's so easy in hindsight to say, yeah, you would have been fine. But in real time, it's it's not nearly that easy. Yeah, I mean, we've back when we did those live seminars way back in the day, when you put this retirement strategies for people over 55 thing together, when you put the seminar, your number one bullet point was secure your income. Yep. Yeah, you have a pension and Social Security and other sources, you don't have to worry about, you know, you're, you've secured your income by the time you've come to us. But when you don't, that is a huge emotional issue. And just like you said, you can crunch all the numbers you want. It doesn't factor in the emotional side of all of this, which is such a key part, which reminds me, and my mind has drifted. And I'm just going to throw this out now for everybody. And some of you aren't going to like it. <laughs> Mark my words, AI will not replace us. Us artificial being intelligence, advisors? Us, yes. AI will not replace us. And this conversation is exactly why. Uh, well, there's oh. actually two reasons. There's two reasons why. One is this conversation. And two is the market's always going to go up, down, and sideways. And it's unpredictable. If it were ever predictable, there'd be no market. Yeah. So that unpredictability with this conversation about emotion is why I predict AI will never replace us. And when it does, everyone listening to this will be dead 
So my prediction <laughs> is still true. So what I wanted to touch on here, Dave, was that CNBC article that you sent uh, that talked about people fi- feeling financially insecure. And yeah, this makes sense. Somebody who's you know not making much money and they've got debt and things like that. But what this really focused on was people said 10% of people, or no, I'm sorry, um, 25% of people making more than $175,000 classified themselves as poor or very poor. Now, I think there should be a big asterisk next to this that says, well, where do you live? Because if you live in Manhattan, uh, you know, I've never lived there, but I I think 175 might classify you as poor or very poor. But if you live in Omaha, I think you're probably doing pretty well. Uh, But you know, I think this all just comes back to what we were talking about, about people not feeling secure. Um, they're never going to feel totally secure in the the financial media that we have nowadays. It's just not designed to make us all feel good. It's designed to, to make us feel anxiety and angst and, and all of that. So I found this to be very unsurprising, but, you know, maybe other people feel differently. Yeah, I don't have too much more comment on what you said about. I think I probably said that to you because it's just like, well, I guess it doesn't really matter what you make. You're always going to be worried about money. It's just a different context. Yeah. So the next thing that I wanted to talk about, Dave, do you remember the movie or the book, The Big Short, the book by Michael Lewis? Yeah, I never read the I think I read half the book, but I certainly remember the movie. It was a really good movie. Yeah, it was very well done movie. Uh, It had Steve Carell in it. It had Christian Bale in it. So the character that Christian Bale played um, was this guy called Michael Burry. And if you don't remember the story and and the, the history on all this, Michael Burry was he was originally a doctor. He was originally an M.D., and he got into investing on the side. And I don't even remember the story. There was some some super rich guy that staked him with some money and basically set him up with a hedge fund and said, okay, you can invest other people's money because you know he was a doctor, but he was doing this investing stuff on the side. And so he had this hedge fund. And around the year 2005, he looked at the housing market and said, this doesn't feel right. You know, everybody's buying these homes. They're not putting any money down. They don't have to tell the truth about their income. Right? If you remember, the they had loans that everybody just called liar loans because you could put down whatever you wanted for your income. So you had guys working at McDonald's buying million-dollar houses because, yeah, sure, I make $200,000. Not actually true. So here was this guy in 2005 who saw what was coming and, you know, long story short, he placed these massive bets on the housing market and in particular subprime mortgages melting down. And I, I give all of this context because this here was a guy who was right about the mortgage market and what was going to happen, but he was way too early. It was way too early. 2005, I mean, really, the the cracks didn't start to occur until 
2007, and really everything didn't hit the fan till fall of 2008. So this guy was right, but his investors at the time, because he was bet on the housing market going down, his investors were looking at him like he was crazy. And his investors were saying, you idiot, get your money out of here. You're so wrong. We've never had a national decline in housing prices. But this guy stuck with it. He stuck with it and he made hundreds of millions of dollars for himself and probably billions of dollars for his investors when the market finally did melt down, right? So that's the whole backstory. Just absolute legend in the trading world because he made this massive trade and he stuck with it. You know, there are plenty of stories of guys who made a trade like that and just they couldn't stick with it. The pressure, the, you know, you're wrong month after month after month. So I'm telling you all of this because this guy was really right about that one trade. But then he's had a history since the financial crisis of making predictions. And he's a big Twitter user. And I don't have you gotten used to calling it X now? I don't. Uh, I guess. I, I think that was the worst marketing move in the history of no offense to Elon Musk. He has a good track record. But yeah. Everybody calls it Twitter. That's a brand. Let's change it to X. I don't right. understand that. But right. yes, I since it, X is on my phone now and not Twitter. Yes, I've right. gotten used to it. I, I just can't get it off my tongue. It just doesn't roll out of my mouth. <laughs> uh, so he's big on Twitter. And, uh, you know, somebody put together, he recently, <laughs> there was this recent headline and it said, Michael Burry bets. $1.2 billion on a market crash coming up, right? Basically, he's predicting this market crash in September. So first of all, let me take issue with how distorted that headline was from reality. So you see that headline, I see that headline, I go, geez, 1.2 billion, he's betting 1.2 billion on a market crash? That's That's a lot of money. Right. Even for right. Elon Musk, that would be a lot of money. Right. Although, you know, he seems to be burning money left and right. Um, well, that wasn't even true. You know, if you dug into it, he bought options contracts that could potentially have a value of 1.2 billion. But with options contracts, you put down a tiny, tiny percentage of that. So maybe a tenth of a percent. But, you know, that's just classic. Uh, if somebody reads a headline, they pass on the headline, you know, <laughs> there's very bit of kernel of truth to it, but not really. But here's my point. Michael Burry, 2015, he said, crash coming in the next couple of months. Uh, May 2017, global financial meltdown is coming. September 2019, this was an interesting one. This was back, he was saying there was a bubble in index funds, you know, so he was essentially making this argument that index funds, because they just buy the index, they don't care about, you know, different stocks, you know, what stock, this one or that one, they just buy everything. He was saying, okay, they're creating all these zombie companies and they're buying these companies and just propping them up. Um, March of 2020, this is after COVID hits, he reveals a massive bearish bet right? Stock market was up 72% over the next year. 
Um, February 21, market bubble, crash coming. January of this year, he sent a one-word text. This was January 31st, a one-word text, sell. That was it. He just said sell. Okay. And uh, and of course, these most recent, you know, buying some of these options here. So my point in going through all of this is not to say this guy is dumb or he's an idiot or he's, you know, even to say he's not worth listening to, um, because I think it's worth listening to a lot of different opinions. Um, but it, my point is that a lot of people will make their riches on a big trade or a big bet. And then people think they're going to be right forever and ever. And the fact is you can be really right one time and then wrong for a lot of other times. Right. Correct. <laughs> so, would... It's like <laughs> you can't predict the market. Yeah. Yes. This guy was right. It was good analysis. And yeah, he dug into that and he was right. But you can't predict the markets. Even that prediction, maybe something would have changed along the way from 2005. Maybe the government would have got involved, seen something and prevented a meltdown. It didn't happen. And we did have a, a huge meltdown. Yep. But you can't predict. But hey, people, people are going to follow that stuff no matter what. People are going to read things from, like you say, we are really hammering the media today <laughs> in our show. The media is out to do something. They're trying to get clicks. They're trying to get you to invest in something. You yep. see commercials and stuff like that. They're going to use every you know psychological trick they can. Or you just have this guy who believes in what he believes in, sure. which I'm sure he does. But And sometimes he, a couple of times, well, he's right that one time. He hasn't been right for a while. But you can't predict a crash. And you certainly can't base your investment decisions on those predictions. Yeah. You can, but you're going to be a basket. <laughs> right. And I, I think, I think you're going to be wrong more often than you're right. All right. Let's wrap it right there. Thanks for joining us. Hopefully all of you can enjoy the last few days of summer. You know, in my mind, summer ends at Labor Day. Uh, still having trouble coming to grips with the fact that kids go to school, back to school before Labor Day. You know, when, when I was growing up, back in my day, it was always the day after Labor Day. Always was that. Yeah. That's when you went back to school. We'd watch, well, this is even before you, I think. We'd watch the Jerry Lewis telethon because it was always on Labor <laughs> You're just, I have, that is we're before doing me. this on Zoom, but you could see Steve's face. He's like, what? <laughs> Every Most people listening to this know that you'd watch the Jerry Lewis telethon. And it was depressing. Not obviously the cause or the reason for it, but because the next day you were going back to school because hmm. that was always on Labor Day Monday. All right. Well, enjoy the rest of summer and we'll talk to you again soon.